going to church. The phrase often used to refer to the building you worship God at and the group of people you worship with. But what does the word church really mean? What do we see about the church in the Bible? Let's take a deeper look and try and understand the meaning and purpose of the church in the New Testament. Welcome to Where There Is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. Okay, so uh, this is our next episode. We're going to be looking at what is the church. Um, so first off, in your, in your opinion, what does the word church mean, Travis? What does it actually mean, or what, is, what do people like, typically think it means? Uh, well, I'll ask it this way. If you were to Google it, what would come up? All right. Now, if I were to Google it, my guess is uh, the first thing you would see is church buildings. Uh, uh, probably really nice, pretty church buildings, you know, European architecture and all of that stuff. Uh, Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, you might see Notre yeah. Dame or something like that. Uh, you may even see some organizations referred to. You may see the Catholic Church referred to. Um, but that would be my guess is what you would see. Yeah, um, so I actually did this when I Googled it. Uh, every single picture for about as many as I looked at, <laughs> the first two or three pages was all buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if you look it up in the dictionary, the word church in the dictionary now, the first definition is a place of worship. Hmm. Um, so... When you think about the phrase going to church and what does that what does that really mean? What do people take that to mean? I think they mean going to a church service or or something going on in a church building. Yeah, it's typically some kind of assembly at the building, right? Um they usually mean going to a worship service. Like I was talking to somebody the other day and they said so and so goes to church with me. Um mm-hmm. and they said they go to the uh, a certain service with me. Um, they, they go to that same service. So uh, it was interesting because really what he meant was that that person had chosen to become a member of that church who meets at that building. Um, you know, we've got all these technical terms and stuff. But, but you know, even those of us who quote-unquote know better, who, who have been have been told many times what church really means and and know the proper usage of the word— I still say the same things. I still say, oh, you know, I go to church with John. Or, yeah, we go to the same church. Or, Let the kids get up. It's time to go to church. Say this sort of stuff all the time. Yeah, and it's hard not—it's hard to break that kind of a habit, I think, um, because it's what people understand, and it's how it's already said. But if we look at the way that the word is used in the Bible, church quite literally just means— an assembly of people. Um, nothing technically spiritual about it. Uh, if we had a group of, you know, we had a group of people come over to your house to celebrate your birthday, we could be the the church that meets to celebrate Travis's birthday. Um, that's quite literally what it means. So, um, if we look at the times that the word is used in the Bible, it's um, almost all in the New Testament. Of course, we've got you could. You could relate this back to the Old Testament, but we're not really going to do that. Um, but we see some uses of it in the New Testament, and there's 
really only two instances of it in the Gospels, which is quite interesting. Um, and the first of those is in Matthew 16 and verse 18, and the second the second one is in Matthew 18. Um, and I would like to read the first one. This is probably one that many of us are familiar with um, or have heard at some point. But Matthew 16, 18 says, this is Jesus talking to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I find it interesting that this is the first time we see the word church used in the New Testament. Um, what, What other thing has Jesus been talking about up to this that I would say a lot of people tend to associate with the church? I mean, I know exactly where you're going with this, but at this point, what he's been talking about is how people are identifying him uh, as him being the Christ. That's that's the confession that Peter had made, uh, that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, and it's this confession that Jesus is is commending Peter for. And I have a feeling that's not where you're going with it. Yeah, um, not really, but that's okay. Um <clears throat> Here he's talking about this. I mean, this is the first time he's talked about the church, right? So he's saying, I will build my church, my assembly of people, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So um, he kind of uses the same word, uh, in a sense, in verse 19, when he talks about the kingdom. So often we take the kingdom and we kind of make it synonymous with the church. Um but we'll touch back on that in a second. So the other instance that's used in the New Testament is Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. This is where Jesus is talking about discipline uh, for a brother who sins. And he's talk- he says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And if he listens, um, you've gained your brother. And then he tells you to take some witnesses. And if he doesn't listen to the witnesses, then you're to go. And in verse 17, it says, and if he refuses, uh, if he refuses to listen to them... Tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So those two instances are the only two instances in the Gospels where the word church is used. Um, I find that rather interesting, but um, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Why, Why don't you think there is more discussion of the church from Jesus? First of all, it is very interesting, and it makes sense when you think about it, because what happens in the Gospels is is the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and it's really after only after those things are completed that the church, as we understand it today, exists. So you can't really have a whole lot of conversation about the church prior to that, because it just simply didn't, didn't exist yet. Uh, I wanted to, wanted to say, when we looked at that passage in chapter 16, you know, it's interesting that when Jesus says that, if you changed um, the language just a little bit, where Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If instead of it, you use the word them, you know, if we, we understand the church to be the assembly of the saints, then you read that as I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against, prevail against them. That's a very encouraging verse, because that yeah. tells me that I'm part of that them. I'm part of that right. you know, uh, word there. 
That's a really good observation. Thank you for pointing that out. So we see that um, there's a lot of talk about the kingdom as well from Jesus. Um, and there's some, we've got some passages for that. There's Matthew, uh, several, I mean, there's a lot of kingdom talk, but let's just look at one in Matthew. Um, this is chapter 3 and verse 2. This is actually John the Baptist talking. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we see a very similar message from Jesus in chapter 4. Um, and it says, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So um, we just see this talk about the kingdom here. And I guess really what I'm saying is, is the, is the kingdom the church? It's a yes and no. Uh, it, it is, but there's more to it than that. Um, in an upcoming episode, we'll talk about the gospel. We'll talk a lot about the kingdom and, and what that means. But uh, it's certainly, they certainly are both but referring this, to this this collection of people. Yeah, I would say the same but different. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think sometimes we we say the kingdom is the church, the church is the kingdom, and I don't think that's necessarily true. Uh, because there are things that the kingdom is that the church is not, and there are things that the church is um, that doesn't describe the whole kingdom, if that can be said. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I just wanted to to make that point, because sometimes we can go to the Gospels and try and replace the word kingdom with the church and say this is what the church should be doing, but that's not really... Anyway. Um, so then, looking at Let's shift to the book of Acts. Uh, where do we see the beginning of the church? In Acts chapter 2, uh, right. particularly in, in around the verses, well, around the 42 through 47. Yeah. Um, and something interesting here, you know, we use this word church, but uh, the beginning of the church, and I'll just read through this short section, and I want you to listen for the word church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I just find it interesting. The word church is actually not even used there, um, as you've probably noticed. Uh, but that's really where we see the the start of the church. And I think we see a lot of the purpose of the church and what our our purpose together is. When you can go back to the roots and see what you know what these people were doing for each other and how they were taking care of each other and what their common purpose was. And really, the the um, the one bond they had together is the rest of chapter 2. Uh, they've listened to this sermon by Peter, and Peter uh, pricks their hearts with his message, and they repent and are baptized, and then that's what brings them all into this common fellowship with each other. Um. So then the the first use of the actual word in 
the book of Acts is in chapter 5. And um, I think this one is kind of interesting. In uh, chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So here we get this much bigger picture than um, just a group of people in one area. It says the whole church. So you get this impression that it's all the people in that area who were of this belief. Um, So we're kind of seeing a little bit of a different tone to the word here. In chapter 9 of Acts, in verse 31, it says the church throughout all Judea and Samaria. So there we see it spanning almost two regions. Here this assembly of people has spanned almost two regions. So here we know that this church is it's talking about this assembly of Christians, these um, people who are followers of Christ. And in Acts chapter 8 and in Acts chapter 11, the church in Jerusalem is referred to and singled out. So there's a, a church in Jerusalem, an uh, assembly of people who love Christ in Jerusalem. In chapter 12 of Acts, we see in verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And then in chapter 16, in verse 5, it says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith. And then the last one I read, want to read in Acts is Acts 20, verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So that was kind of rapid fire there. Um, But what I'd like to just ask you, what are some things that we can learn from these verses about the purpose of the church, um, what we see that the church was doing, that kind of thing, just from those verses? Yeah, kind of starting back at the beginning of that list in Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 through 47. I think that's just a, a really beautiful passage that you talked about that it's it talks about what, what the people in the church were doing. You know, that they were having meals together, praying together. They were with one another. They spent time together. They were, you know, selling their possessions and making sure that there was no need among the group. And then they also worshiped together. There was so much there. There's so much community there. And I think that's a word that we throw around a lot. Um, but really, there was an awful lot of community in the in the New Testament church that maybe we don't have as much today. Uh, we tend, to, especially in this country, we tend to be so independent um, with our wealth and with our time uh, that maybe we don't have that. So I think that's one of the things you see. Also focused on the different uses of the word there to refer to a specific group in a specific location, and then more as a broader group. Like you said, there there's the passage refers to the the church in Judea, Galilee, and um, and Samaria, there in chapter nine. So you can see that it that Luke, as he writes uh, Acts, uh, uses those interchangeably um, mm-hmm. to refer to a small local or local congregation and a larger sense of the word. Yeah, and another thing I noted from Acts twenty is that it talks about when he sent... I mean, just from this verse, you can see... um, It says that he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So you you see this local leadership um, just in one verse, that the local church had elders. um, So we can see that um, just in one verse. We can also see that they were strengthened in the faith. um, That was in chapter 16. And... Um, that they could uh, 
pray for a, a person or people. You know, it says um, that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So um, this this image of praying together for someone. Um, so one thing you kind of touched on is this concept of the universal church and the local church. Mm-hmm. Um, the universal church, the way I think about it, is it is the community of all Christians everywhere for all time. And the local church is community of living Christians at one geographical location. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, I'll just leave it in that. Any uh, Anything to add to anything so far? I would only add that you know, within our within our faith, we we really stress the autonomy of local churches, and I think that's important and um, not something we need to talk about a whole lot in this episode. But one of the problems with it is that when we focus on you know autonomous groups, is that we forget that we are part of that universal church. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for me to to think that I am in a really deep, meaningful relationship spiritually with someone who worships in another on another continent or in another era you know a hundred years ago that I am that I have some sort of kinship with them uh, but it is an important biblical concept for us to to think about yeah and, and you brought up something interesting we don't really see any kind of overarching leadership style that um, branches between different local churches each local church has their own leadership set up and then um you know those leaderships might communicate with each other in different ways but they don't report to each other all each each local church reports to god right um <clears throat> so that's something interesting and then when i talk about the universal church that is um essentially the um christians worldwide if i could say it that way um but i think sometimes we we mix those two concepts and we think that uh, all the people who attend style type A church all over the whole world are uh, the, the universal church. And I'm not looking to call any specific group out in this podcast, so I won't do it like that. But um, we can't say that church A is the church over the whole world and that um, different leaders across the whole world govern my local group. That That's not something that we see in the Bible. That's my point. Yeah. Yeah. That's an important point. Okay. So um, one last thing I'd like to do with this episode is look at the metaphors that we see for the church in the Bible. There's, there's more than four. I've just found four. Um, but uh, some of the ones I've got are the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, and the temple of God. So we'll look at a couple passages with these. Um, I say a couple. We'll look at four passages. I've got more than that, but we'll just look at four. Uh, so for the body of Christ, there's all kinds of stuff. There's stuff in Romans chapter 12. There's stuff in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and chapter 12. There's Ephesians 4 and 5. There's Colossians 1. Uh, but we're just going to look in 1 Corinthians 12 um, at a short section of Scripture, starting in verse 12. So 12, 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And 
um, you can see there that that imagery of many members being one body and one body being made up of many members. And I want to jump down to a later section in this passage. Uh, it says, I think it's in verse 26 or 27. I don't have the verses on my sheet. Uh, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So you can see that uh, in, in this section, he's talking about uh, body parts and how we're each a different body part. But you can see that image of us having different purposes within this assembly of followers of Christ. And we all have different talents and do different things well and different things poorly. And we're to use those things to help the full body, um, not just yourself, but to help the working body, to help it continue to function and fulfill its purpose. Let me ask a question. In this section, do you think the body refers to a local church or the universal church? What do you think? <laughs> That's a good use of that, uh, by the way, to shoot it right back at me. I, I think it's the universal church. I don't think that this is specifically about a, a local group. And I ask the question for this reason, because I, I think, you know, how narrowly or how broadly you define that, you define what a Christian is. And there's all sorts of, I mean, there's so many denominations because there's so much disagreement on what a Christian is or ought to be. But if you define that very narrowly, and so you say, I'm only going to, you know, rejoice when certain Christians rejoice and weep when certain Christians weep, and I'll ignore the rest then I think that is a very, to me, a very scary position because you have, you've, you've put a limit on, you know, who you consider part of your body. Um, I think the more, if I can use this word this way, the more conservative, the safer way to look at that is to be very broad with how, whom you consider to be in the body, you know, who can you consider to be a believer that doesn't mean that you accept everything that they do or you, you would you know, commend them for everything they do. It's not what I mean. Just saying how you care for those people mm-hmm. and, and how you consider them and, and what difficulties they may have or may, where you may rejoice with them. That's what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? A little bit, yeah. Um, not a whole lot of sense, but a little. <laughs> yeah, I had never considered that in this passage. I do... Um, I don't know. It seems to me like... In the context of First Corinthians, this is probably more about their function within the local church. But I don't know. I'd... Yeah, I, I think early in that passage, you know, around verses twelve through thirteen or fourteen or so, I would say you're right. When it, when it gets to the latter part of the passage, then I think it's safer to consider it more broadly. I don't know. I, I'm probably just going off on a tangent here, but. Um, yeah, I just think it's an interesting thing to for us to consider, I guess. Yeah, I think I can see what you're saying. Um, maybe in this last bit where he says, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the, the full body is the... Uh, um, I, I, I see what you're saying. I think you can apply this universally and locally. Um, uh, because I don't think there's just one. Otherwise, you've got 10,000 brides of Christ. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I think the image is that there's one bride of Christ. So uh, anyway, um, or body of Christ, excuse me. 
Bride of Christ is the next one. Uh, Bride of Christ, there's uh, some stuff in 2 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, and Revelation 19 and 21. And the one I want to read is from Ephesians 5. In verse 31, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Uh, what kind of relationship do a husband and wife have? Like, how, is, how does the church emulate this relationship? I think the, the word that I think of immediately is that you're, they're united. Uh, that a husband and wife, if they're in a godly marriage, then they are united and, and they approach everything that way and committed. Uh, that's probably another word that would come to mind. You know, there's an eternal commitment to each other and to God. Yeah, those are great, great points. I think about um, Paul's call in Ephesians as well. He's talking about how how husbands should love their wives and how wives should um, love their husbands, the way that that relationship works. And um, this just goes to show that he's really talking about our relationship with Christ as well. Um, that that um, others first love is what I'm thinking. But I think that's a good image for us to have is like, mm. just like you have uh, marriage or this close one-on-one personal relationship, this is the same we're supposed to have with Christ. Um, with the the church and Christ. Uh, We also have the family of God. There's a few different passages that give us this idea, um, but I actually like one from Matthew. In Matthew 12, verse 49 through 50, that says, And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Um, So it doesn't specifically call out the church here, but I think... We can assume that um, if the church is doing the will of Christ, that we are his mother, his brother, uh, his sister, as he says here. Thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. And I, I think, again, it speaks to the kinship and the, and the relationship that we have. And um, you know, maybe we don't always think about that, that we should be as committed to the members of our church, especially our local congregations, maybe. Um, that we should have the same level of commitment to them that we do to a family member. And if that's the case, then it's much more unconditional than normal human relationships are. Yeah. There's like this this deeper, you know, our connection is um, not through blood. Uh, it's through, through Christ's blood. Um, but it, it's not something... We have a choice, that's what I'm trying to say. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's a much deeper connection than you have with your family, is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how to articulate that much better than that. Um, and the other metaphor I've got for the church is the temple of God. Uh, we see it in 1 Corinthians 3 and in 6. Uh, he talks about this image some, but one I want to cite from is First Peter two five. As you choose, First oh, Peter two five, as you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um. 
Yeah, we know that Paul also calls our bodies temples, um, but I think this imagery too is is good of this um, the the members of the church being the stones that help build the temple. What do you think of this imagery? I mean, you think about like what was done in the temple. Yeah, well, I thought first of all, it's a fascinating uh, fascinating image that within the temple, that's where God and man got to meet. Right, mm-hmm. that's where God dwelled. Um, so when I when I read that and, and put that into our common understanding, our our modern understanding, then we individual members are being built up to the place where God and man meets. And if that's the case, wow, that is a yeah. really really heavy responsibility and a tremendous honor to be that. Yeah, we have become that meeting place. And not only that, but the assembly of people has become that meeting place. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Um, anyway, so that's what the church is. I mean, you think about, like, we didn't really talk about this too much. We, we kind of alluded to it, I guess. But when talking to the church, who did it consist of? Of the saints. Yeah, the people who followed Christ um, and did, you know, people that really, if you, you want to know who the church was made up, read the book of Acts. Um, there's a lot of mm-hmm. conversions and things that happen there, and that's really the book about the growth of the church. Um, so with that, we'll go ahead and end this episode. This is a little bit of a longer one, but we're just spending one episode on this one. So thanks. See you next time. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24 The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him.